Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry and with me today is my guest, Sean White. How are you doing, Sean? Great. It's a wonderful sunny day. It is here as well. And we've had a little bit of a delay. Uh, Sean and I both have very busy lives and a lot of things happen between Isaiah chapter 14 and the current chapter we're going to do, Isaiah 15. Now, just for our our listeners who have listened to chapter 15 before, uh, Sean felt that there were significant changes or adjustments or updates to make to this cha- this chapter. And so I took down the old Isaiah 15. I'd recommend that you delete that one because this one is a more complete one. Is that uh, correct, Sean? Yes. My, on my first focus, it was too narrow. And when I realized in the preceding chapters of the people that he was talking about, I could see a broader scope and application of these chapters. Okay. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to do two podcast, but we're going to do them on separate uh, separate ones. Isaiah 15, we're going to do first, and then we're going to stop and end that recording and then prepare that for an upload. And then we're going to do Isaiah chapter 16 if we have time this afternoon, and then we'll post that as well. So we want them separate so you can listen to them separately. Sean, why don't you start with kind of an overview, if you will, on these two chapters. In chapter 15 and 16, Isaiah is focusing on the people of Moab and the trials the people of Moab face as as the Heavenly Father seeks to humble them. The theme of humbling the people throughout the king of Assyria's invasion continues through chapter 24. Anciently, the Moabite lineage came through Abraham's brother Tara. They were once righteous people who had shifted to pagan worship. Moab was the last stopping place for the Israelites before they entered into the promised land as they journeyed from Egypt. This is also the place where Moses died, according to some, or was transfigured in other records. The tribes of Reuben and Gad intermarried into the Moabites to the point that the tribes of Reuben and Gad became indistinguishable from the Moabites. They drifted further and further away from God as they worshipped the things they had made with their hands. Moab was often in conflict with the Israelites to the west of them. Moab is significant to us because Moab is a group in which they had a covenant relationship with God and had stepped away from their covenants. Today we can see many people who have stepped away from their covenants that they have made with God and become prideful in the worldly things that they have. And as I had said earlier, we had covered this chapter, but in my review of it, I found that I was just too narrowly focused on small uh, group and really was covering a lot larger perspective than what I was looking at. So as we start chapter 15, we're going to be, it'll be in my viewpoint, the midpoint of tribulation after the servant or Yahweh of armies has invited the people to gather and after the king of Assyria has arrived in the promised land. Okay, Isaiah chapter 15, verse 1. The burden of Moab, for in a night Ar of Moab is laid waste and brought to nothing. For in a night Kir of Moab is laid waste and brought to nothing. Ar is a Moabite city in the southernmost part of Moab. Kir was a walled fortress in the land of Moab, 
where the king of Assyria once took the captives after he had conquered Damascus. Going back to the verse, For in a night Kur of Moab is laid waste and brought to nothing. I saw this as a pattern of conquering, conquering happening in small countries first, and then happening to America. Like this verse says, it happens in a night. In the Book of Mormon, the people didn't believe their grand cities could be destroyed so quickly. Yet more than 60 cities were destroyed, including Zarahemla, which was where their temple, their central temple was located. In other NDE experiences ahead in mind, many of us saw that the conflict concerning the king of Assyria's invasion, starting in California and Arizona at first, I was shown the king of of Assyria literally lays waste to these areas to try to make them an example for the rest of us. They thought it would make the rest of us submit quicker to their rule. So uh, I'll make a few small comments if it fits instead of at the very end for this one. But if I have longer comments for discussion, I'll mention them at the end. So this two things. One, the speed with which the wicked can be destroyed is a is a very common theme, and I've already referred to this before, but Ammonihah was destroyed in a day when the Lamanites came over, and they were such a great city, they said it could never, ever happen. And also, uh, we see that, um, well, I'm, I'm watching, thinking this week, and just to put in historical context, the timing of this podcast, we have the Wagner Group, they were on the way to Moscow, right? And yes. we're about halfway there when they, I guess, uh, it sounded like the president of Belarus uh, had the agreement. I'm not sure if he brokered the agreement for a ceasefire, but it sure reminded me of the Captain Moroni Pehoran uh, dynamic when they felt like, you know, don't you care about us out here? We're out here fighting and what's going on in the inner cities. You don't care about what's going on. And they were going to go, you know, clean house, not realizing what powers have taken over. So these parallels, I'm not saying they're exactly fitting Isaiah, but the pattern for me at least is uh, very interesting to see these patterns uh, set forth in the book of Isaiah. And how quickly they can turn around. Very quickly. And that's the theme. I think you're right of verse one. Verse two, they have gone up to Baith and to Debon, Debon to the high places to weep. Moab wails over Nebo and over Mediba. Baldness is on all of their heads. Every beard is cut off. In their streets, they clothe themselves in sackcloth. In their streets and on the, their housetops, everyone wails, weeping abundantly. After these cities are destroyed, they cry from all corners of the land. They weep in such a way that Isaiah is liking it to shaving one's head and beard. This act, this act represents a loss of one's identity. Anciently, dictators shaved the heads of the men and the women to cause them to lose their identity and separate as a slave status. This was done by Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and others. Russia recently shaved the Ukrainian women they captured in fighting. Xi Ping has shaved the Uyghur, the Uyghur women's hair off also. In the ugly scenes of the future, I saw the king of Assyria shave the heads of the people they captured as they put them in camps to easily identify them and mark them in case they were to escape. This also will demoralize the people and cause them to submit easier. Mm. 
I, I have pictures of this when the Americans moved into France, uh, the uh, people who consorted with the Germans, their, uh, the women, their heads were shaved and they've got video, foot, video you know, for, I guess, film of them having their head shaved. It's very uh, degrading, humiliating, and uh, obviously a pattern that is carried forward from ancient times to the present time. Yeah. Okay. Verse, that was verses two and three. And by the way, just for clarification, we are reading from a translation from the book of Isaiah, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You might want to follow along with your new, new international version of the Bible or the King James version. You'll see some differences. We've elected to go with the um, Dead Sea Scrolls because they're the mo they're the oldest translation in existence of the book of Isaiah, to my knowledge. Verse 4, Heshbon cries out with Elele, their voice is heard even to Jahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud, their souls tremble within them. My heart cries out for Moab. Her noble nobles flee to Zoar, to Egleth, and Shilishia, for they go up by the ascent of Luhith with weeping, for on the way to Horanaim, Horan they raise a cry, they raise up a cry of destruction. Jahaz was a place east of Jordan. The Hebrew meaning of the word Jahaz is trampled upon, a place trodden down, a threshing floor, contention or quarrel. Every city in the land was affected. In spite of God's warning, they were not prepared for this invasion. Even the armed men of the land cry out in dismay. The leaders try to escape their lands. A couple of comments there. Uh, one of them is one of the reports as the Wagner Group was heading to Moscow. Uh, again, I'm just talking about patterns from my perspective. Uh, we had, uh, a, a, it was reported that these these some of these heads of the state of Russia, including uh uh, President Putin you know, fled Moscow, went into hiding. Certainly that would happen in our country uh, if there was an attack on Washington, D.C. And, of course, we know that President Bush didn't go back to Washington, D.C. after the Quinn Towers were attacked. And, uh, and so there are patterns here uh, that I find very interesting. As I've studied these types of patterns and everything. I mean, George Washington is such a great example. He always hid behind the others and stuff and kept himself protected up until the point when they crossed uh, the Delaware Bay and the story of the pea fog soup. And he led the men in that case. And after that, they the whole war turned around. And I, in my mind, cannot imagine Moroni running and hiding, nor Mormon, nor Captain Moroni. I know that those men stood in the forefront of everything. And if they needed to negotiate or to work, they would be up front. And I think that that's a sign of a righteous leader that would not hide, that would be right at the forefront, trusting in God's arm, that God was with them. Um, to bring this to modern times, I have read more than one uh, prophecy by members of the church who had private uh, insights into the future, an NDE or a gift of prophecy, and I've heard more than one church leader also state that you know the halls of Congress will someday be empty, uh, that that the our leaders will have fled 
Washington, D.C. And I have a feeling you have a comment about that. We're going to see that in some later chapters here of Isaiah as he touches on some of these scenes, especially after the invasion. And uh, it's going to be very interesting as we go through these chapters. I mean, look, we know that there's places of safety being prepared for upper leadership in our country. There's lots of stuff out there. I can't, you know, track it all down or vouch for it, but uh, we know that there's all kinds of contingency plans. But this this occurs when there's what? When there's a fall. Even Hitler went into a bunker, right? Um, yeah. And uh, he didn't leave the city of Berlin, but at least we don't think so. <laughs> Other people say otherwise. But bottom line is, um, this is a this is a very this is the sign of collapse, in my opinion. Uh, looks like Russia is going to avoid it. And I say thankfully because we we all look, seek for stability and resolution of the problem over there. But anyway, that this is what I was thinking of these kinds of ideas. Let's go to uh, we verse six now. Is that where we're at? Yeah. Okay, verse six. That was four and five. For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, for the grass has withered away. The tender grass fails. There is no green thing. Therefore, they will carry away the abundance they have gotten and that which they have stored up over the brook of the willows. Waters of Nimron, Nimron describe the rivers in the area as they dry up in extreme drought. They travel with just what they can carry to the valley of the willows. This ties into Revelations 8-7 in my mind. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burnt up. This scene happens all over the world, first in smaller countries, then in America. The people who didn't listen to the servant when he suggested that they gather for protection are now trying to escape with whatever they can carry. This year we are seeing fires sprout up all over the world in unusual places that we never thought would burn. How many in Canada that are, that are at least reported in the oh, past just, uh, two, three weeks or a month? Just in one weekend, there were 47 that I saw, but there have been hundreds up there. And, you know, we think of Nova Scotia as being so moist that you couldn't start a fire, and yet it's burning. Um, any reports on the cause of these fires? Is it lightning strikes? Is it uh, Is it something more nefarious? Uh, we, it's so highly unusual. Uh, the sources I've seen on the one say that they can't identify. There was no lightning in the area. It was a play, cloudless day. There was no lightning. Um, the, you know, there's some speculation by some that thinks that the government could be using a laser focused mm -hmm. down on the earth to do this. And there's others speculating that the earth is heating up in these areas and starting it itself. Well, we don't always know the causes, but we certainly see uh, the prophets reporting on what they see in vision. So right. this is very interesting. Um, okay, let's go, go on to verse 8. For the cry has gone around the borders of Moab, its wailing to Eglaim, and its waiting, wailing for Bier Elim. For the waters of Demon are full of blood. For I will bring yet more on Demon, a lion on those of Moab who escape, and on the remnant of the land. All of Moab cries out from every corner. 
the waters around their capital full flow with blood. God says he will impose more tribulation than man can. Wild beasts will ravage those who stay in Moab. When God's children, especially those of the house of Ephraim, stray from their covenants and no longer serve God, he withdraws his protection from them. I think that's the key right there with the Lord withdrawing his protection. Little do we realize how much protection we enjoy, but when it's taken, then we'll really understand. Um, I have a couple of comments. So I've already referred to this before, but I want to talk about it again real quick, Sean. And we've reached the end of Isaiah 15. So I came across an alleged copy of a vision of John Taylor, but it wasn't written down, I don't think, until the 1950s. So take it for what it's worth. But now, even 1950, it's, you know, 70 years old. So it's still to be, you know, considered what it said. Uh, and it was recorded by the Lunt family. It's what I remember reading at the head notes. So I'm sorry I haven't done enough due diligence to quote more, but that's the source. John Taylor Vision, uh, Lunt family wrote it down, 1950s. So 60, 70 years after the death of John Taylor that I think this account was written. I don't know if it was other, there other copies earlier, but there's two things that they say in there that are like, when I read Isaiah, I'm going, wow, there's other precedent for this. First of all, um, they claimed, or this, the people who wrote it down claimed that uh, John Taylor uh, stated that uh, someday the Salt Lake City <laughs> would grow to the point of the mountain. Has that happened? Oh, you know, yes. we're there. And, and even 30 years ago, when I used to live up north in uh, northern Utah, it wasn't, you know, really filled in. But now it's really filling in, you know, Draper and beyond. And, of course, all the tech companies there in Lehigh, American Fork. So, I mean, it's, it's all coming together as one big suburb. And so he, he the claim, the prophecy was that when it got filled up to about the point of the mountain, uh, that things would start to happen. And one of the things they said is that... Um, the, the church records would cross over. Um, they said two things. One is said blood would run in the streets of Salt Lake. And I think there's more than one person who's now said that. I think uh, we've seen that other places. But that was one thing. So the blood flowing that we're reading about here, um, and of course symbolic of what Moses saw in the rivers, that they described it being like blood. Um, one of the one of the plagues in Egypt, uh, anyway, blood flowing. And then they, what they said is when you see the records uh, cross over the river, I think it was Colorado. I'm not really sure exactly where we would have to go look at it, but it said, don't stay in Salt Lake alone. So I've always, you know, as a marker, I've looked for two things in the last 30 plus years. One is uh, when is the city of Salt Lake, you know, as a suburb going to grow to the point of the mountain? Well, it's there. And then, the church has records, I think, in Little Cottonwood Canyon in the granite, these beautiful, amazing granite underground uh, bunkers, right, Sean? Yeah. So <laughs> if you ever hear about them being moved, mm -hmm. uh, consider it a sign and consider that the, maybe this recorded revelation, uh, you know, might have some merit to it. I wouldn't, you know, plan my life around it, but as you see things fulfilled, and I'll say this too, the White Horse prophecy, not an accepted prophecy, didn't come through you know, proper channels, was not presented in general conferences of the Revelation like they did with uh, DNC 38 and Joseph Smith's vision of, of the celestial kingdom, which were uh, received as scripture, accepted as scripture, 
when I was uh, a teenager, uh, when Spencer Kimball was the prophet, those were na- those are now considered scripture, and therefore we accept it as such. Uh, these things are not, so I want to be really clear. But as I watch the White Horse prophecy, there's things in there that are written down, and we know when that stuff was written down, it was a long, long, long time ago. And as we see things moving forward and progressing, there are a lot of things in there like, wow, the Chinese being a powerful, you know, uh, force uh, going up against America. If you've read the White Horse Prophecy, you've you've expected this to happen. Now it's being amplified. Now it's been a problem for decades. It hasn't been talked about. Now the mainstream media is talking about it, uh, almost to the point where it's too late to do anything about it. But you know, these things are there to be found, and and I and people can criticize it and that's fine but i just keep watching if the things that are in these uh, revelations whether it's in history of the church doctrine covenants uh journals i just kind of look at it all and see if it starts to come to fruition and then you've got the stamp of approval these patterns being shown by isaiah so it's an interesting uh, dynamic and tells me that we're getting closer because all these things that are written are beginning to uh, come to fruition or very close at hand. You know, I the whole reason why I started this project for Isaiah was to help me find peace to the visions and things that I had seen in the future to make sense and put in order all the things that I had seen as I walked with the Savior. And it has been a tremendous peace to me. And I hope that as we go through this, that all of you out there, listeners, can find peace and find where you fit into helping Heavenly Father during this. I'm hoping that through your prayers and things, that these scriptures and understanding will help you open up and learn what you can do for your family and your stewardships to help you prepare for these days ahead. Let me give an example of that, Sean. My my grandfather's uh, autobiography which I put into a book form. You can buy it on Amazon. But he describes this Lamanite prophet that's going to go among the people. He said he had, a in his vision, he had his out-of-body experience. He saw this Lamanite prophet going among the people, the, the Native Americans, and converting many of them. And he had never heard of that. Of course, he was a brand new member, but he, some one time he went through the was going through the Book of Mormon. There it was, Lehi's blessing to his son Joseph. Now, of course, it talks about Joseph Smith as a seer, but it also says that from his loins would come a prophet that would do great work among his people. So he felt vindicated or relieved. Oh, good, that is there's a scriptural basis for that. So you're saying the same thing, Sean. You had these experiences, and then as you dig into Isaiah, you go, Oh my goodness, I'm not crazy. Or that did make sense. Uh, what I saw in my walk with the Savior is actually been prophesied by Isaiah, and you, and not just one thing, but many things. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Well, we're going to end this podcast now on Isaiah chapter fifteen. Uh, stay tuned for chapter sixteen. Sean, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Craig.